the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it, now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us as we get underway at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. On this Tuesday, it is the 16th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Appreciate you being here. Coming up this morning, bad news for you. Kirsten House traveling today, so Peter will not be with us today on his normal visit, but we do have some conversations that need to happen that are going to happen, including uh, coming up here at 935. Uh, we're going to be talking with State Senator Jerry Serino, who's got a very important bill um, in the Ohio General Assembly, in the, uh, in the uh, Senate, that would require, essentially, force our colleges and universities in the state of Ohio to start respecting and protecting free speech. That the one-sided, left-wing ideology that is pervasive on college campuses all over our state, and quite frankly, as you know, all over our country, uh, that cannot happen anymore. That cannot stand. And they are going to make changes. This bill would make changes at a very foundational level uh, at the universities, uh, all the way to Senate confirmation, uh, advice and consent on trustees, board of trustee members, um, 
at uh, the universities, at Ohio State, at the University of Toledo, at Cincinnati, all of the, the public universities. It's a big deal. So we're going to be talking with um, State Senator Jerry Serino coming up at uh, at uh, 9.35 in less than a half an hour. And then at 11.05, we're going to go back and revisit the border after now four days of the um, end of Title 42. What have they found? What are the trends? And what is the damage that is being done to the border towns and to other cities and to people across this country as the invasion of the United States continues? It's kind of hilarious, really, that um, the Biden administration is bragging. They're, they're actually chuckling. Joe Biden on a bike in Delaware, which is, by the way, the to me, that should be ground zero of the immigration crisis. Every single illegal immigrant who comes into this country and declares asylum should be sent to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. That's where Biden spends 50% of his time. Literally, he spends 50% of his time on vacation at Rehoboth Beach in his beach house rather than working uh, at the Oval Office. And I think they need to be at his doorstep. But anyway, he's chuckling about the fact that uh, uh, the invasion hasn't been as fast as they that many people had predicted. After 10,000 per day for five straight days last week, uh, it slowed a little bit over the weekend. And they're saying, see, what are you worried about? It, it's unbelievable. But we're going to talk to um, uh, commentator Mahek Cook at 11.05 about that. So we've got Jerry Serino coming on here in a half an hour. We've got Mahek Cook in the uh, uh, 11 o'clock hour. And I welcome you in between 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Now, before we get into the top story of the day, which, of course, is the uh, aftermath and the evaluation and analysis of the Durham report for long painstaking, coma-inducing years later. John Durham has finally come up with his report. It is simply impossible to describe the frustration with the delays that it took to write a report that, quite frankly, I think could have been written in about eight months. Yeah, maybe, maybe a year. Maybe I give him a whole year. Absolutely extraordinarily disappointed that we waited four years for this. This should have been done. This should have been completed before the 2020 election, quite frankly. Let the people know what the left and the Democrat Party had done, what they had partnered with, what the type of chicanery they had partnered with in this entire affair. And let the people know that before they voted again. I don't know if it would have made a difference considering the cheating apparatus that the left used in 2020, but it might have. At any rate, details coming up after we say our Pledge of Allegiance. Yes, we still pledge our allegiance to the flag that represents this great republic. Please stand, face your flag, put it, uh, put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a believer in letting the FBI collude and coordinate with a with a presidential campaign to undercut another presidential campaign with lies and innuendo, then you don't believe in the flag anyway. You don't have to stand. You are invited to take a knee over there while the rest of us show our patriotism next to that uh, ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty 
and justice for all. The weaponization of the federal government. That's what we watched. That's what we saw during the last year of the Obama administration, which coincided with the Hillary Clinton campaign, which coincided with the Trump campaign. We saw the federal government weaponized for political purposes. That is the inescapable conclusion of the John Durham report. The inescapable conclusion. There is no doubt, in fact, the FBI admits that they made a lot of mistakes. They will not admit that they were intentional, which of course matters, but they admit that they made a lot of mistakes and that the Durham report underscored all of those. Here is a line that I think sums up the entire affair. Peter Strzok, the disgraced former FBI agent who was fired, he was the FBI's lead investigator in this case, told one of his subordinates about the the uh, probe into President Trump, or then-candidate Trump's um, coordination and collusion with Russia, with Vladimir Putin, with the Kremlin, in order to try to steal the election. He said to his subordinate, and I quote, there's nothing to this, but we have to run it to the ground, end quote. He knew there was nothing to this, but that they had to run forward with it anyway because that was the decision that was made at the highest levels of the FBI. So Strzok opened a full investigation. He skipped the preliminary steps, which were based on nothing, or rather the investigation, which was based on nothing but a brief and a vague account by an Australian diplomat of a conversation in a London bar. And within hours, Strzok had traveled to London. But when he explained why he had opened the investigation, neither the FBI employees there nor their British counterparts could believe it. They had heard nothing, the FBI specialists on Russia, had heard nothing about ties between Trump and Russia, making them skeptical. Instead of using Russia experts, the FBI then assigned brand new intelligence analysts to work the most prominent and politically explosive case in the country. This is uh, all all well defined in the Daily Wire and many other uh, reports as well. I've got about five different ones that I'm going to refer to here, including this report from John Durham that explains that the FBI was instrumental in a, in perpetrating the Russia hoax. The Bureau never had any plausible evidence, is what John Durham concluded. Never had any plausible evidence or verified intelligence when it wrongfully launched Crossfire Hurricane, which was the investigation into the Trump campaign. By the way, we, we kind of neglect to talk about the fact that this, um, this investigation continued into Trump's presidency that this didn't stop when Trump actually won and Hillary Clinton was lost and there was nothing more to gain. They continued to spy on the Trump presidency. And, of course, all of this led to uh, the massive and and ridiculous waste of time and money. But it was a political hit job like it had never been seen before called the Mueller probe or the Mueller investigation. But at any rate, no evidence that they had used to open this investigation was ever vetted or corroborated. The FBI knew it was a lie from the outset. Peter Strzok even admitted as much to a subordinate who's testified and told this to the John Durham Investigative Committee, special counsel. Um, They knew full well that there was nothing here. 
This was made up, but we have to drive it to the ground anyway. The FBI discovered almost immediately in the summer of 2016 that the claims of the Trump-Russia collusion had been manufactured by Hillary Clinton and her Confederates. The damning fiction, Greg Jarrett writes, constitutes or constituted what is surely the dirtiest trick in American politics, and it triggered the greatest mass delusion in history. In fact, I'll say this. It's 2023. 2016 was nine years ago, and there are still thousands, if not millions, I would dare to say millions of Americans, most of them Democrat voters, who believe that Trump colluded with Russia, that Trump and Putin worked together to to rob Hillary Clinton of her destiny as President of the United States. There are still people who believe that, despite the fact that the Mueller probe proved nothing, despite the fact that Trump has literally been cleared of any wrongdoing vis-a-vis anything having to do with Russia prior to that 2016 election. And it's 2023, you know, an election later, election and a half later, and there are still people who believe that Trump colluded with Russia. Surveys and polls show this. The Durham report, the long-awaited, unnecessarily long-awaited Durham report proves, proves that this entire thing was every bit the witch hunt that Donald Trump said it was. That this entire thing was a was an effort by the FBI to aid the Hillary Clinton campaign to make sure that Donald Trump, that evil orange man, never became president. That Barack Obama's work would not go unfinished. That Hillary Clinton must, must succeed him as president of the United States, carrying on his mission and his vision. Barack Obama's, that is. And so they willingly assisted Hillary Clinton in trying to discredit and perhaps even disqualify Donald Trump to take down a presidential candidate. And when the uh, spying kept up during uh, his administration in that first year, to take down a sitting president. Durham found that the FBI used uncorroborated intelligence when it launched its investigation and that the agents did not maintain, quote, strict fidelity to the law throughout the investigation. And the FBI admitted that it was true, quote, the conduct in 2016 and 17 that Special Counsel Durham examined was the reason that current FBI leadership already implemented dozens of corrective actions, which have now been in place for some time. Had those reforms been in place in 2016, the missteps identified in the report could have been prevented, end quote. It goes on to say, quote, the report reinforces the importance of ensuring the FBI continues to do its work with rigor, objectivity, and professionalism in the American people, or that America, the American people deserve and rightly expect, end quote. So, in other words, the FBI is saying, yeah, those mistakes were made, but, you know, we, we don't do them anymore. Stand on your head and spin if you believe that. Nobody believes that. The FBI is just as, if not more, corrupt and Uh, open to abuse by the current activist Attorney General Merrick Garland, who is its head as the uh, the AG in charge of the Department of Justice, and the Biden administration. We have seen the FBI go out of its way to attack the American people. We have seen the FBI go out of its way to intimidate, to bully innocent American civilians who don't like what's going on in schools, for example, 
They're going to go after them in every way that they can. So the FBI is no better now than it was then, but let's stay on Crossfire Hurricane, and let's stay on what the Durham report has found. The left is cheerfully reporting this morning that the Durham report was a big nothing burger. The left is on MSNBC, and they're on CNN, and they're on ABC, and all of the nets, and they're saying, John Durham found nothing. And so they're happy, because it was a nothing burger. Conservatives are looking at it and saying, what do you mean? John Durham found everything, that this was a lie, that this never should have started, this investigation. This crossfire hurricane, it was predicated on uncorroborated, non-existent evidence. What do you mean it found nothing? It found that the whole thing was a sham. So who's right? Was it a nothing burger? Or was it a damning indictment of, of the FBI for their role in colluding and collaborating with the Hillary Clinton campaign in order to, to try to prove and to, quite frankly, fabricate and manufacture the idea that Donald Trump tried to collude and conspire with Vladimir Putin and Russia? Who's right, the right or the left? Are you ready for this answer? I don't think you are. Because the answer is the left. They're right to call this a nothing burger. Do you want to know why, pray tell? Because nobody's going to freaking prison. That's why. Of course there's substance here. Of course John Durham found and proved, again, something he could have done probably in 8, 9, 10 months. I don't think it should have taken four years to write the report that he just submitted yesterday. But nonetheless, here we sit. All of the evidence of the FBI's political actions in support of Hillary Clinton are there. The right is correct. It's not a nothing burger. But since no one gets held accountable for this, no one's going to prison. Nobody in the FBI, not struck, not uh, Hillary Clinton, who, 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 who started this entire thing. No one is held accountable. So the right side is the correct side. This is not a nothing burger in substance. But since Durham ended it by saying he doesn't recommend any prosecution for anybody or any kind of disciplinary or legal action, the left is right when they say it's a nothing burger because nothing happens now. There's no justice. I remember saying numerous times when John Durham was appointed as the uh, special counsel to investigate that, I used to say on the radio, be ready, get ready, left leftists, get ready, Democrats. John Durham is coming for you. John Durham is going to get to the bottom of this, and then we're going to see justice in the form of, of ankle bracelets and jumpsuits. Well, guess what? John Durham got to the bottom of it, but recommends no orange jumpsuits whatsoever. For their, I think, trees, I think this is a bigger scandal than Watergate. And no one is going to pay a price. So who's right? Considering the fact that they got away with it, put this one in the win column for the American left and the Democrat Party. I welcome your thoughts on it at 216-901-0945, Jerry Serino, State Senator Jerry Serino, is going to join me next on AM 1420, The Answer.
Always Right Radio on The Answer. Okay, 935, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, we're going to come back to the Durham Report and talk a little bit about the reactions there. And uh, Tom Zawistowski uh, of the We the People Convention, president of the We the People Convention, will join me at the top of the next hour at 1010 with reaction. He agrees. Uh, this, is a big, uh, this is a big win for cheating. It's a big win for uh, the Democrat Party. It's a big win for uh, Hillary Clinton because nobody's going to be held accountable despite all of the wrongs that were found in that Durham report. No one will be held accountable. So we'll get uh, Tom's reaction to that and yours as well. But for now, I want to pivot. I want to talk about Ohio Senate Bill 83, which is targeting college culture here in the state of Ohio. Free speech is not free on Ohio college campuses. We know this, quite frankly. It's not free, really, from K all the way up through the university level anymore. But we're focusing on the college campuses right now, which are rife with left-wing indoctrinators and indoctrination. And um, it really, really scares and uh, and intimidates students into being able to have a voice. Uh, joining us now is the man responsible for Senate Bill 83. I just saw this this morning. I saw a little clip of Jerry Serino. I heard his voice. I recognized it immediately. And uh, why is Jerry Serino on with Peter or Steve Ducey rather on Fox News? And sure enough, it was to discuss this very important bill. So I said, uh, Senator, let's see if we can talk about this here today. And here we go with State Senator Jerry Serino. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Good to be with you. Good to talk to you as well. I'm so glad I flipped on Fox this morning. I don't often do that anymore. I'm still pissed about Tucker. Sorry. But uh, the reality is uh, I, I did catch it, and I did hear you, and I heard you talking about this bill. So let's let the listeners who do not know anything about this bill uh, give us a background. Well, great, Bob. The, the, the Senate Bill 83 was introduced about two months ago, uh, and I introduced it uh, because uh, for several reasons. One is, uh, I've been very involved in higher education. I'm chairman of the Senate Higher Education and Workforce Committee, and I've been engaged for several, for three years now in the Senate uh, trying to make Ohio higher education better uh, uh, for our students and taxpayers in the state. And as you already indicated uh, in your earlier comments that, you know, our universities really all around the country, and including Ohio, uh, have, have, have developed this single line of thought, uh, which is very woke, uh, and, you know, we all know that predominantly the faculty and administrators in our universities and colleges are, are I mean, predominantly liberal. Uh, in fact, I saw a statistic in a recent study of Ohio State University from 21 and 22, where of all the faculty members who contributed to political campaigns, Ninety-seven percent went to Democratic candidates. So that gives you some idea, and there are other studies, of, of who's in charge of these universities and, and what their beliefs are and, and how their attempts inculcate their views uh, and not allowing uh, other views to, uh, to uh, develop and to, to expose students to uh, divergent views. They talk about diversity a lot, except diversity of opinion and diversity of thought is not really encouraged on our campuses. This bill is designed to take a giant step in getting this course correction done at our Ohio universities and colleges. 
We're talking to State Senator Jerry Serino. You know, what you just said is astounding because the, the number is almost identical when you look at America's newsrooms and um, uh, newspapers. Uh, same thing. Uh, those who contribute to political candidates, over 95% of them contribute to left-wing uh, or, or Democrat candidates. And so, you know, it kind of begs the question, how does anybody on the other side of the aisle get heard? Uh, how do they get a fair shot? But at the university level, the, the real issue there for me is not... Not just that those left-wing professors who who donate ninety-seven percent to the uh, to the Democrats and they're uh, forcing views on their kids, uh, their students rather. But I want to know how they got hired that way. It cannot be coincidental that we just hired these people bias-free without any knowledge whatsoever of their ideology, and it just so happened they all seem to like the same candidates. This is institutional right. from the hiring process of these professors and the faculty on down. Well, that's been going on for quite a long time, and and but more recently we have the DEI initiative uh, since the George George Floyd incident, uh, and and so what's been happening is that you know the the uh, the woke universities, which is virtually all of them in Ohio, uh, have been embracing this DEI policy. They've been using a litmus test uh, to hire people or to promote people. And my bill outlaws the litmus testing in any hiring or promoting or granting of tenure, uh, and it also takes DEI out of any compulsory uh, requirements uh, for students or programs, with some rare exceptions. And, you know, again, I'm not against diversity. I'm fine with it. But, but we, we cannot force people to think certain things. That is effectively compelled speech, which is just as egregious, Bob, as restricted speech is. And so this I think even more so. I've argued, I think forcing people to say things they do not believe or do not want to say, I think is worse than silencing speech, personally, but continue. Right, right. And yes, and our, our, our university presidents, and we have some great universities. I, I'm all for higher education. Ohio needs quality uh, higher education. But the university presidents over the years have, have just let this problem develop. Uh, I think many of them have forgotten who their constituency really should be. The students and the taxpayers of Ohio, most of them treat the faculty as their constituents. And, and I, I beg to differ with that approach because the faculty, while very important, certainly, they're there to produce the instruction that the students are going into debt to get and going into a lot of debt in many cases. And so I think our presidents need to show more courage. Many of them are, several of them are that I know, but most of them are not showing the courage, I think, that they need to show uh, to make sure that they are representing diversity of speech, freedom of speech, and diversity of thought uh, on our campuses. We don't want to teach our children and students what to think. We want to teach them how to think. We're, we're talking to State Senator Jerry Serino. You know, I, I saw on the piece this morning that you were on on Fox, you know, uh, specifically Ohio State and Toledo were mentioned, but this isn't specific to just those two universities. It's all Ohio universities. But as the father of a, of a kid at the University of Toledo right now, this is extraordinarily important to me. I mean, this brings it right into my house. In fact, some of the things that I've heard already about what goes on in some of those classes, the atmosphere that's created, the atmosphere of, you know, you, you must 
must agree or you must be silent. Do not say anything or else you're going to find yourself in a world of cancellation, if you will, or ostracization and potentially even, you know, poor grades uh, being given as retribution for not agreeing with the left wing orthodoxy that's being pushed there. So, you know, I'm sure there, there are obviously thousands and thousands of parents just like me who've got kids in Ohio colleges who are very concerned about this. Absolutely. And those are the people that, that we care about because they're not the most vocal necessarily. I can tell you, Bob, as we were doing hearings for Senate Bill 83, uh, that I talked with many students and faculty members who were absolutely petrified of coming in and testifying in person uh, for fear of retribution of one type or another. Yeah. And that should never be the case on our campuses. Now, I will also tell you, Bob, that Senate Bill 83 is one thing. That's the comprehensive uh, higher ed enhancement bill. The other one that we were talking about for Fox is Senate Bill 117 uh, that I co-authored with uh, Senator McCauley, which sets up institutes at Ohio State and at the Toledo Law School. And many like uh, this, this is very similar to what they've done in Arizona and in Florida, setting up special institutes that are going to be non-woke, that are going to talk about civics, going to talk about history without all the editorializing that gets done by the woke professors. And um, we're, we're actually going to be spending, in, in Ohio State's case, we are going to uh, spend $10 million over two years to set up the, the uh, Sam and Chase Institute for Civics and Culture. And that's the only way we're going to move the dial on the faculty that is so far to the left. Uh, we have to install these institutions uh, in order to move the dial very quickly and I think in a meaningful way. Well, that explains why the Ohio State and Toledo focus. Again, I only caught a portion of your of your uh, appearance this morning, so I'm glad to hear that. That's a separate piece of legislation, but I support that as well. So I'm looking at uh, uh, some reporting on this. The American Association of University Professors, Ohio chapter, has condemned this bill. They say you're trying to micromanage universities on issues that are, quote, rooted in the culture wars. What do you say to them? Well, we're not, we're not, the legislature has a seat at the table. I mean, if you listen to the testimony that I heard from the university professors, they have two big issues. One is they don't like the legislature playing in their sandbox. They just want us to continue writing billion-dollar checks every year and just stay out of their business. Well, we have a seat at the table, and, and we're not trying to micromanage universities, but we do have a right to, to focus on uh, making sure that the students are getting quality education that is not uh, focused on one line of thinking. The other part that they don't like is that my bill, Senate Bill 83, has a no-strike provision in it. So for the 14 universities that are state-operated uh, state and the 23 community colleges, uh, faculty will not be allowed to strike. because. And here's a simple fact, Bob. Um, students pay for their tuition up front before the semester starts. Okay, that is a contract uh, that they enter into with the university or the community college and or the state if by, by, by uh, connection. And so nothing should interfere with the students getting the instruction they have paid for. And, and certainly not because some faculty members and their union would like to get a better dental plan or change their working conditions. You know, I'm, all, I'm not against organized labor, but the students should not be held hostage and should not be used as pawns in the negotiating process. Nothing should, in, should interfere with the students. The students come first 
And I wish our faculty and unions would understand that and at least stipulate that that's a fact. Yeah, I completely concur, Senator Serino. Um, Last thing for you is to ask where we are. This was introduced, I think I read in March, again, in my quick uh, research of this. So um, uh, when does it look like it might hit a committee? Oh, it's been in the committee. Oh, it is. We are planning to to vote it out of my committee tomorrow. Oh, perfect. uh, And uh, in the morning and later in the day, we will have it on the Senate floor. And uh, I am confident that it will pass the Senate. Oh, we right. also have a we have a companion bill that is about a week and a half behind us in the House. It's the exact same bill, so we can work in parallel. And I believe they're planning on voting it out of committee next week. So uh, this bill is uh, is uh, fast paced, and the reason it's fast paced and that we're moving it along so quickly is because it's absolutely necessary. We should have been able to do it a couple of years ago, but we have to fix higher ed in in Ohio. Now we don't. We can't wait six, eight months, or a year to do it. No, we cannot. And I'm so glad to hear it is on that fast pace, Senator Serino. And that's good news that there is already a companion over there as well. Do you anticipate any problems on the other side, given the uh, split over there, and uh, you know the the siding with some Democrats uh, by by a good portion of the Ohio House? No, I, I'm I'm pretty confident that it's gonna it's gonna get through the House, uh, the committee, and the the full House. Uh, and, you know, I think everybody on the Republican side of things, um, uh, you know, feel that this is necessary. Uh, we don't expect any Democrat votes uh, because of the union issues particularly, uh, but we anticipated that. Uh, but I, I'm very confident that the legislature in total recognizes that there's a problem that needs to get fixed and that if we don't do this course correction now, things may go so far to the left that there may be no coming back. Senator, last thing, just to really kind of get a, a, a grasp on what this will do, is it in any way similar to the bill that Ron DeSantis just signed in Florida, which defunds any DEI initiatives at at uh, colleges and universities across the, uh, the the state of Florida? Yeah, we're a little different, and we're organized differently. Uh, DeSantis has has more control over the universities directly uh, in their structure. Our structure is a little different mm-hmm. in Ohio. Um, we're not outlawing uh, DEI. We're limiting it and making it, uh, you know, not part of litmus tests uh, and making sure that uh, that it's optional and never forced on people. Um, but we are going to be looking at in future hearings in my committee at how DEI is being implemented, uh, what's the content look like, and how much money. Ohio State has a DEI staff of 143, it has been reported, uh, and they spend $14 million a year. Okay, that is not going to escape the attention of the legislature, and uh, we're, I'm, I'm going to be calling hearings starting in the fall to take a closer look at this in my higher education committee. So I, I, I apologize. I'm trying to end the interview because I know you've got to go, but, but you just hit that. So 143 DEI employees at Ohio State University, what do these people all do? Well, that's a great question, and some of them, uh, I understand, are, are part of what used to be the compliance groups uh, for, you know, Title VI and Title IX uh, federal laws, and, and, and we do have to have people doing that. Uh, but And there are, there are probably more than a dozen people in the six-figure income range in that department, okay? So that's something that we're going to take a close look at. Again, we are the, we are the first strings uh, for higher education in Ohio for the public universities, and uh, we have every right to be looking at that 
And part of my bill also calls for uh, new transparent financial transparency from our universities that we've not had before so that we can we can see a lot more about what, what's going on here. Senator Jerry Serino, uh, since I brought up Governor DeSantis, I guess I should probably ask this. Is Governor DeWine on board? Do you anticipate a signing? Well, we've had some ongoing discussions throughout the process. I like to get all parties kind of engaged on legislation as it proceeds. Um, I won't attempt to speak for the governor. He certainly has his prerogatives. But I think the governor is committed to making our Ohio University system as good as it can possibly be so that we're training the students in the best possible way. So I, I suspect the governor is, uh, is going to uh, support the initiatives that we are engaged, engaged with here. Well, I will cross my fingers, but I will not hold my breath. I do not share, uh, I do not have a very optimistic view of the governor on certain things, and this might be one of those where I'm going to be a little concerned. But I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. I'm glad you have some people on the other side in the House doing this as well. I hope we do send this to his, this to his desk and, uh, and, and put this, uh, you know, put this all up to him because, uh, that's what the students and quite frankly, the taxpayers were paying for 143 DEI employees just at Ohio State, not, not the, the entire state of Ohio. Ohio uh, universities and colleges, but for God's sake, uh, we deserve, uh, you know, uh, to know where our dollars are going and whether or not our dollars are going to help our kids or harm them. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'll, I'll uh, be happy to keep you posted as we proceed along here, but Wednesday at uh, 1.30 at our chamber session uh, should be a very good day for higher education in Ohio. Well, we will watch that very closely, and I will appreciate those uh, those updates as we go forward with this process. Senator Jerry Serino, thank you so much. I appreciate you. My pleasure. Thanks, Bob. There you go. That's Senator Serino. It's 9.52. We'll take a time out here, get ourselves caught up a little bit. Uh, we do have a guest coming up at 10.10. It kind of happened in the middle of the show, but I'm going to talk to Tom Zawistowski at... Um, at 1010, we're going to go back to the Durham report. But if you want to speak on this issue, Ohio's colleges and universities and this bill to not eliminate DEI, but to balance things uh, a little bit on Ohio, you know, on Ohio campuses, I'd love to hear from you. 216-901-0945. Right back. I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thank you again to... uh, Senator Jerry Serino joined us last half hour. If you missed that interview, you should hear it. It was a good one. It's an important one, particularly if you've got kids in college or you've got kids younger than college age. They're on their way. What exactly are you going to be subjecting them to? I want to pivot back now, though, to our top story of the day. The Durham report released yesterday. It took many more years than it should have, given everything that we learned, because most of what we learned we already knew. It was trash. It was garbage. The entire basis for the warrant to spy on the Trump campaign, the entire um, uh, 
Why am I blanking on his name? Now, Mueller investigation that followed that, all of it, we knew that it was bogus, and all John Durham did was find what we already knew. What John Durham did not do, however, was affix any blame. He did not recommend any accountability whatsoever, leading to reactions to this from people like Peter Strzok, the disgraced former uh, FBI agent, to say this. This is a predictable, sad ending to an investigation that never should have taken place. Shortly after he was announced in uh, 2019, he went on the record, you know, as a prosecutor, making a rare public statement that he disagreed with I.G. Horowitz's conclusion that the investigation was appropriately launched. And then he spent the next three to four years with a cognitive bias trying to build a case that somehow it was. And we see the results today, and the results are clearly that he didn't come up with anything. And I think, you know, what I make of it at the end of the day, Joy, I look at his record of two failed prosecutions and one plea that Michael Horowitz presented to him on a platter. Peter Strzok, of course, was fired from the FBI for his role in fabricating the entire affair. He told a subordinate, according to the Durham report, that there is nothing here, but we have to take this, run it into the ground anyway. Um, And now he's taking victory laps because John Durham didn't recommend any accountability or prosecution for uh, the misdeeds. Joining us now to react is Tom Zawistowski, the president of the We the People Convention. Tom Z, good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob, and you know, I'm sorry to have to you know join you again on a, what's really another sad day in the history of our republic. And you know, I was I was fortunately I was very encouraged by what Jerry Serino had to talk about in your previous segment, so that kind of boosted my spirits. But for any real American, you know, this is a disaster because, and I'm really disturbed about conservative media that's trying to put lipstick on this pig, you know, to act like there, there's something that you know, really was accomplished here because I don't see any evidence of that so um we can come back to what peter struck just had to say here in a second um but but just generally speaking was there anything that you learned on may 15 2023 that you didn't already know way back in uh in in late 2019 no i mean this report it's a nothing burger i mean it really is now i disagree with struck where he's acting like well he came up with nothing no the report lays out very clearly that struck and page and comey and all of them acted inappropriately what's disturbing to you and i is that there's not any recommendations for actions to be taken i mean i heard dershowitz on tv last night talking about the fact that comey you know committed perjury he intentionally lied to congress we know for a fact that Strzok and Page and those guys doctored the Pfizer reports, which are illegal, and to have Durham not even you know put into this document that you know Comey should be you know uh, should be considered for charges that Strzok and Page you know who were fired that's not good enough. They and Strzok and Page actually fired and got their full pensions that they should be you know, looked at, and the FISA court, the whole FISA court system should be looked at. John Durham gave no recommendations for anything, and then add insult to injury, Bob, and I'm sure you picked up on this, the FBI's answer to this report was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we already implemented fixes to all that stuff years ago, and so this report has no effect on us while they're covering up the Hunter Biden laptop story, right? While they're, they're still going after President Trump, uh, you know, illegally, in our opinion, uh, it's, it's just disgraceful for them to basically spit in our face. 
I want to read just a very short portion of this. Uh, this is Section 2, uh, White House Briefing, August 3rd, 2016, within days of receiving the Clinton Plan Intelligence. Director Brennan met with the President, Vice President, and other senior admin officials, included but not li- including but not limited to the Attorney General and the FBI Director, in the White House Situation Room to discuss Russian election interference efforts. According to Brennan's handwritten notes and his recollections at, from the meeting, he briefed on relevant intelligence known to date on Russian election interference, including the Clinton plan intelligence. Specifically, Director Brennan's declassified handwritten notes reflect that he briefed the the meeting's participants regarding the, quote, alleged approval by Hillary Clinton on 26 July of a proposal from one of her advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal, claiming interference by Russian security services, end quote. Tom Zawistowski, I'm not a lawyer, but I read that and I see criminal activity. I see something that deserves and warrants a criminal prosecution. How am I misunderstanding that? I don't think you are. I mean, it's it's as bad as Joe Biden's, you know, doing that video about Ukraine where he said, we're not going to give you the billion dollars of aid unless you fire the prosecutor. These are admissions of crimes. And then Durham does nothing how why can't why wouldn't you put if you're durham and you saw what happened with the clintons why wouldn't you put in your report that it would be appropriate for the doj and the fbi to reopen their investigation of the clinton foundation scandals which they failed to do back when they happened i don't believe the statutes of limitations have run out on that heck you know they sure as heck figured out ways to keep the statutes of limitations going with donald trump why can't we do it here yeah, I completely agree. And and I guess that's the the most frustrating thing about this is without accountability, without uh, you know people, ser- you know, you know without consequences being served upon people, what's to stop this kind of thing from happening again? If all we do is investigate and take an eternity to do so, only to come up with, yeah, it was wrong, they shouldn't have done it and everybody have a nice day now, what deterrent is there to stop anybody from going in and trying to quote, let me read that quote again, stir up a scandal claiming interference by the Russians, you know, any Time and every time there's a hotly contested race coming up. See, and, and this is your, your really important because you're right. There's no deterrent here, and there may actually be this action may encourage this type of behavior. Yes. Because there are no consequences. Don't tell me that the Biden crime family didn't learn from the Clinton crime family. They saw the Clintons get away with it. And they were unabashedly aggressive in doing the same things of getting money from foreign governments for policy decisions. And so this report could have done something about that. It could have called this into question and demanded that it stop and that there be investigations. Instead, nothing. And, And then you hear these conservative people talking about how, you know, this is a black eye for the FBI. They don't care. They're partisans. Jim Comey's laughing at us today, Bob, because he got he got Trump. He's going around and he's saying, you know what? I may have screwed up Hillary's situation and, and made it possible for Trump to beat her, but I made it right because I did illegal things and I got Trump. That's what he can say today. And based on this report, he did. Yeah, and not just him. I mean, I'm picturing a conference call right now, a group FaceTime with James Comey and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and, and, uh, and, and many others all, you know, sipping their coffee and chuckling about how we got away with it. We pulled it off. Look at those doofuses over there. They can't stop us at all. Right now, they're celebrating, and that's as infuriating as the outcome to me. 
Well, it's, it should terrify all Americans because it just says that this type of behavior, which has been going on since 2008 when Obama came into office and under Eric Holder, is going to continue. And it just raises the stakes for 2024 because the only way to stop this is to clean house. Whoever is our, our, our you know, conservative president that we can elect in 2024, they have to clean house because this illegal activity is just getting worse, not getting better. Yeah, and you know, there was an opportunity. when that, That's the real frustrating part to me is when President Trump came in and won despite this, this lie and this, you know, this uh, collusionary effort between the FBI and the Hillary Clinton campaign, he won anyway. And then he got in there, and he did indeed do the right thing and fired James Comey. He started to clean house, but he replaced him with somebody who I don't know if he's any better. We're sitting here, we're sitting here dealing with Chris Ray running an FBI, and again, this is not to impugn the integrity of agents, you know, and you know, going to going down uh, all the way through to the uh, to the rank and file. But 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 Chris Ray is running the FBI the same way James Comey did, targeting political opponents, including parents who might be getting in the way of an agenda that they support. And, and Rob, you're 100 percent correct. This this is the most frustrating part of all of this, and that we have to address and own up to. Because it's real simple. When Trump won, it was Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, the Republican Speaker of the House, who would not let uh, Jim Jordan and and the rest of the congressmen who were investigating, you know, this this Russia Russia thing. He wouldn't even let them do subpoenas. They did nothing to protect President Trump because you know what. They're deep staters, too. They believed all this. They wanted it to be true. And, and Mitch McConnell and John McCain and all the rest of the rhinos, they wanted Trump to get thrown out. Because guess what? They were doing the same thing in Ukraine that Joe Biden was doing. I got pictures on my website of Lindsey Graham and John McCain in Ukraine doing the same thing John McCain did, or excuse me, uh, Joe Biden did with his son Hunter. They're all in this. And so this is a great lesson in, you know, know who your enemies are uh, because we've got lots of enemies and you better not appoint people, you know, like, like Bill Barr. What a disappointment he's been in this whole thing uh, to, to help us because they're not going to help us. They're deep staters. Yeah, and so you know the question now becomes: um, what what can we rely on? Who on whom can we rely to try to make sure there is a level playing field in twenty twenty four? How do we know if, that they're not going to cook something like this up again? Like you said, they may have actually been encouraged, not discouraged, not uh, deterred from doing this, but encouraged to do it again, and maybe not just against potential, uh, potentially uh, uh, candidate Trump, but but against anybody. I feel like we are always going to be playing. Uh, you know, against the house. It's a stacked deck against us because they now know that they can cheat, they can lie, uh, they can steal their way to victory, they can do whatever it is that they want without any, uh, without any fear of consequences whatsoever. How do we, how do we have a, a chance in 2024 then? Well, I think, you know, a couple things we've got to do, and I'd like to encourage um, your listeners right now to call uh, Max Miller and Dave Joyce and whoever their congressional representative is uh, that can hear me. For instance, you know, right now the uh, FBI has refused to turn over the document that, that the House thinks shows Joe Biden sold uh, policy changes to a foreign uh, donor uh, in an influence peddling deal. There's a document that they've requested. And the FBI wrote this BS letter saying why, even though it's an unclassified document, they yeah. still won't turn it over. Call your congressman and say, we want you 
to call uh, to file charges of contempt of Congress against Christopher Ray. That's what they did against Steve Bannon. That's what they did against Navarro. And so when you start making it personal and you get in their grill, at least Bob, they'll have less time to scheme against us because they'll be in you know in court with their lawyers spending money trying to decide you know whether they're going to show up and testify or not. That document belongs to the American people, and that's one of the ways we can fight back is by encouraging our you know members of Congress to be as aggressive as the Democrats were. Yeah, and you know I I, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I, I I just feel like the the situation here is obvious. They know that that document directly ties Joe Biden to everything that the bank records showed uh, enriched his family during the time when he was vice president, and then again even after he was out of office. They know that this could bring down a president in the FBI. And Chris Ray is in no way, shape, or form going to turn that over, no matter what kind of subpoena they receive, because this this could literally be the end of the Biden presidency. Yeah, and I, I'll go back to your conversation with Jim Jordan. I believe it was uh, yesterday or, or Monday. Yeah, yesterday, yeah. Yeah, yesterday. Uh, where he talked about, you know, this is impeachable. This these are impeachable offenses. But as he said, that the problem with that is, is if we move to impeach Joe Biden, it's going to keep us from doing all the other things we need to do. And, and that's a real conundrum for us on the conservative side, because we would all like to see Joe Biden gone. But we also have the specter of Kamala Harris as the one that would get in if you did impeach Biden. So I'm kind of, you know, with everybody. I don't mind impeaching Mayorkas and, and, and holding you know, Ray in contempt and mm-hmm. maybe going after Garland for all this stuff that he's doing with the covering up for the Bidens. But I'm not sure I'm for impeaching Biden because I'd rather just beat his ass in 2024 well you know what though what what has happened here and i agree with you by the way i would love to do that too uh because if you impeach him you give us president harris for however long it is remaining in that term and i don't want that either then she goes into a race as an incumbent but uh but uh, but but my concern is you know it's kind of funny it's a little ironic i suppose donald trump once said jokingly that he could uh, kill somebody in on fifth avenue or something in manhattan and still win uh and his supporters wouldn't abandon him or something to the, of that nature i'm paraphrasing yeah, yeah. of course and i feel like that's how it is with biden voters Biden voters, it doesn't matter if they find this document, or rather if it's surrendered to the uh, uh, to the uh, 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 Judiciary Committee, and that they prove that he sold influence and sold foreign policy favors for the enrichment of his family and himself. He feels like he's invincible anyway. I mean, he won by theft, in my view. He won by theft in 2020. I think he, I don't think he... I think he feels like he's Teflon. They can't touch me, and even if they get something on him, his voters are still going to back him if he's if he's on that ticket. Well, and, and Bob, particularly, I mean, we saw, and I know you saw my press release at the WeThePeopleConvention.org about the blackout that happened when Comer and the House did their press conference laying out, you know, the $10 million of money that came from China and Romania and was distributed through 20 LLCs uh-huh. to the entire Biden family. There was no coverage, zero blackout. And this is the challenge we have. That's why you're so important. That's why our podcast is so important, because we're the alternative media now. And and, and that's where people are going to have to get the truth, because as I said in my press release, they didn't just not mention the story. You know, they didn't just not cover the press conference. I'm talking ABC, NBC, CBS, all of them. 
they literally covered for the for the Bidens during that same time frame. They did. They went and they just accidentally, Bob. You know, released this story about the congressman from New York that was getting charged that morning. Just a coincidence that the morning that they're going to have this big press conference, the FBI guys announced that they're going to you know, charge this Santos, George Santos, congressman. That's that is collusion. That is working with the Democratic Party and the president to defeat their opponents. There's no other way to look at it. No. But you would know that unless you listen to the Bob France show. Well, you know what, Tom? You're 100% right. And since you're on the line and you just said that, let me ask you if people will be able to listen to the Bob France show, Always Right Radio, or Tom Zawistowski, or anybody else who's doing very important broadcast work because of what they're trying to do with EVs. You just heard that uh, promo before you came out of Brandon Tatum telling everybody that the car manufacturers are making this massive fleet of uh, of electric vehicles, EVs, without AM radios, saying that the AM radio signal interferes fears with the operations of the electrical battery or something of that nature. And what they're really trying to do is shut up conservative radio. Without doubt. Anybody who thinks that's not the reason for this is a fool. I mean, you know, I've been involved with electronic communications my whole life. You know, the cost to have AM radio in your electric vehicle, and they say, oh, it causes interference. You know, the electric batteries and stuff cause interference. You know, to do the shielding on an AM antenna might cost a dollar in a $35,000 car, right? It's all bogus. That is the intent. And everyone should do the texting. I, I think, you know, I, what was that? the text number? I think it was 52886. You know, to, to text and say, we want AM radio in our cars because they're intentionally doing this. And I know people may listen and say, you guys are crazy. No, nobody would be that, you know, granular in their attempts to censor us. But the communists are. You better that's believe what it. they do in China. That's what they do wherever the totalitarians are in charge. And so you better fight now for your freedom and liberty or you won't have it. You know, they tried to shut us up, and they tried to limit our effectiveness with the fairness doctrine and all of the other crap in the past. Everything that has failed, you know, they're taking notes, and they're saying, we got to try another approach. This is that approach. There's no question about it. What we have to say matters, and they don't want people to hear it. Tom Zawistowski, president of the We the People Convention. Tom, thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Great. Thanks, Bob. You got it. 1028, we'll take a time out here and come back. We've got an open half hour for calls at 216-901-0945 coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Giving you reason, age of unreason. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. All right, it's 1036. We've had two very, very uh, important interviews already this morning with Jerry Serino, state senator, and with uh, Tom Zawistowski with the People uh, Convention. I welcome your thoughts on either one of those or off the board, 216-901-0945, Either one of those will get you here. As always, if you miss any of the interviews, don't forget to go to the webpage after the show. About an hour after the show ends, uh, you'll uh, see it all posted there for you at whkradio.com on the podcast page, whkradio.com. Uh, we've got some time now for some calls, uh, so I welcome you. At Sh- uh, Cheryl in Medina is going to be up first here. Cheryl, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Yes, good morning. Um, uh, I am calling uh, 
publicly to thank Peter Kersenow for his excellent presentation at McFan this last week, um, stating truth and sounding alarm as he always does in what I would call an articulate evidence-based presentation. And so often, and it relates to the two speakers you've had already who were excellent, and yesterday to um, the college admission slots and the firing of people to give slots for people um, who are less qualified. And um, I have to say um, that Peter is one of our favorite speakers at McFan, and you are the another one of them. So we, I thank you for the times that you have come. Um, well, I appreciate I, I appreciate being about. held in. Yeah, I appreciate being held in uh, in that esteem with uh, with that company. Peter is amazing. Peter, by the way, as an attorney, he deals in facts. He traffics in facts. That's what I love about him. You're right. He brings facts and evidence to cases uh, or to uh, discussions. I should say of all of these issues we're facing right now. So uh, I'm I'm not surprised he gave another sterling performance on Saturday. So thank you for that. Yes, and I um, really I think that of all these. Um, and, you know, you're talking about John Dermott, no consequences, whatever. All these lies get spewing out from the left, and you have to respond with facts. You just, you know, can't just respond with a fist in the air. So um, that's really good. But the thing that they, that I um, was hoping they would deal with yesterday, um, and it certainly is in other places but not right here, is, you know, you just can't push people on the back end of, or the, the end of pushing them into situations that they're bound to failure. But, you know, you have to start at the end where, to prepare them because it's, it's devastating if you don't. You want them to be prepared. You want them to be in, you know, performing medicine and, and pilots. Doctors and pilots are the ones I think of right off. You don't want to be serviced by people who have been unprepared. Um, but it also puts them in a terrible situation. I guess, isn't there one case right now that a Hispanic lady was put into, you know, admitted to college. It was terrible. It was frustrating. She failed and then she, you know, wasted a year of her life and whatever and was making a big point of it, which is a true point. And a lot of people are offering, um, you know, opportunities for, um, you know, people who are less qualified and to get them into place where they actually can be qualified. In other words, not just say this is wrong, you can't get in, but qualify people so that when they come up to college admission or for those jobs, they, they actually would be um, qualified for them. Yeah, you're, you're right a thousand times all the way through everything you just said. Peter and I have talked about that on this program on a number of occasions, too. I don't know about the specific case of the Hispanic woman you're speaking of, but there are many people that can be pointed out statistically. There are numbers on this. Um, who go to a college that they're unqualified for, but they're admitted based on their racial characteristics or their sex uh, orientation or whatever, uh, you know, marginalized class they like to call that they give um, um, uh, entrance uh, and admission preference to. They, f- they flunk out in short order. They're usually gone within a year. They cannot handle that rigorous workload, and it sets them back, as opposed to if they'd have gone to a university, and nobody is saying that you, you know, uh, taking a, a lesser university or getting a degree from a lesser university than a Harvard or, a, or an elite Ivy League school, which is very, very different, um, you know, is, 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 makes you any less of an accomplished person. I would rather go to a quote unquote lesser or a state school 
school and come out of there with a 3.5 grade point average than struggle through a bunch of D's and F's uh, and flunking out of an elite school. Uh, it, it sets you up for failure, and uh, the, some of the people don't even realize when they go into it that they are being put in a position where numbers-wise they get the um, – you know, they get the uh, equitable breakdown that they want on those campuses, and they don't care one iota for the actual success of the individual. Um, and, Correct. And, and, and when you point out the, the, the next level, too, when they eventually do get out of, the, out of school one way or another with a degree or not and go into the workforce, you know, they're going to, again, be put into a position where they cannot be successful because they did not uh, get the training and the preparation that they needed that they could handle. They go into places where they're going to struggle. And it's, um, it's sacrificing the individual for the uh, ideological good is what so many of these people are doing. Right, and sacrificing the people who receive the services, too. Right, that's what I mean. So sacrificing those yeah, individuals yeah, I mean, who receive. You want yeah. your father to get a cardiac surgery? Oh, you mean yeah? Okay, yeah, right. The co- the consumers, the pa- the the passengers, yeah. the patients. Right, you're 100 percent correct. Right. Especially if they get uh, if they do get hired and they do get degreed and if they do get uh, uh, positions in which they can provide potentially life saving or life threatening services. You're 100 percent right. Then mm-hmm. the the people are the uh, are the ones who suffer too. Cheryl, yeah. great great points yeah, all the way you. around. Such a good call. Thank you, my my dear. I appreciate that. Uh, that's Cheryl in Medina. I'm so glad. And of course, I have no doubt Pete would always uh, kill it at every uh, speech and uh, engagement that he has. But that was in Medina County, friends and neighbors. And we talked about this a little bit uh, last week, Pete and I did, and um, we'll continue to about the issue of um, you know uh, merit versus meritocracy versus um, you know racial preferences, racial preferences or marginalized preferences. This is what they do. They give preferential treatment to people who don't earn their spots, and then it causes kind of a domino effect, as Cheryl just pointed out, a domino effect of people who suffer, starting with the actual individual who's put in a position for failure, set up for failure, uh, then that uh, impacts everybody behind them and everybody that they go on uh, if they end up in a in a professional career where they can impact other people's lives where their failure and their in or lack of ability, lack of talent, lack of training or whatever uh, puts other people in jeopardy too. It's uh, it's quite an astounding thing that they even think that, that this is something they should continue. But DEI rules all. That diversity, and D-I-E as I call it, diversity, inclusion, and equity rules all. If we don't have the right color makeup on our campus, if we don't have the right um, um, uh, makeup of, 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 you know, cis people versus trans people, straights versus gays, men versus women, and blah, 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 uh, then we're going to have a problem, uh, you know, with, with our image. That, that trumps everything. Their commitment to D-I-E is devastating for people sorry to ramble but that is just very very frustrating uh joanne is in twinsburg next hi joanne you're on the air go right ahead good morning bob you know another one to add to our corrupt government list um i heard john solomon this morning on real america's voice overnight they removed all of the irs agents that are investigating hunter biden and replaced them with all new people i read something very similar to that yes yes i mean ridiculous how much longer do we have to live under these people's rule i don't get it (laughs) well but you know what joanne i mean you know barack obama once said it and we're living it right now elections have consequences they have power and they are willing to abuse that power even stolen elections in fact stolen elections more than actually legitimate elections have consequences and this is one of those things yeah um they know that hunter biden 
and the information on that laptop, along with the bank records that were presented last week uh, by uh, by James Comer and the Oversight Committee, could bring down the presidency. So they cannot allow any of these, you know, actual. Uh, determined and uh, 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 legitimate agents do a legitimate investigation here that might actually bring down a president. So they've got to remove them so that their eyes see nothing else, and they are well, and the uh, they're incapable of reporting it, on it. Mm-hmm. The sad part about it was, is I wasn't really confident in the first group. Yeah, I know. I, I wasn't either, but but at least but at least there were some things that were being you know discovered yeah, and supposedly uh, being done, right? I mean, even even Hunter Biden had to admit that yes, it was his, and even the you know the uh, newspapers that said it's all oh, it's a Russian disinformation thing had to say okay, it was really well. His, I mean, and, even the IRS guys, I wasn't so sure they were going to do anything anyway. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, because right. there was too many implications to the dead, you know, yeah. to the big guy. Well, and and that's what this all comes down to. You know, if you saw the left, if you saw the leftist response to the presentation last week, they said, "Oh, okay, so you got bank records here showing Jim Biden getting money. You got bank records here showing Hunter and Halley and all the other Bidens here. But what do you have to connect it to to Joe Biden? You didn't lay a glove on Joe Biden. Joe Biden. How do you know he knew any of this? Common sense tells us the the turning Fox News. I mean, you know, they're you know they're you know Steve Ducey was doing that to Comer the other day. Yes, he was. That's my point. Because besides Mark Levin and Maria Bartiromo, I could care less what any of them have to say. Yeah, I'm it, done with Fox. Laura still, Laura still does a good job at ten o'clock, though. She's still. Uh, she, I haven't. I, I can't watch yeah. her. I've been watching Greg Kelly. <laughs> yeah, no, and I've been watching Newsmax more as well. And uh, but yeah. but but anyway, the point is, the point remains. Yeah. Yes, we do have to deal but with I, this a little bit longer. I mean, I wish there was a way we could out. just stop paying our taxes. You know, I mean, I'm done with these people. Well, I got bad news I've for you. Eighty. I got bad news for you. Eighty-seven thousand. Eighty-seven thousand yeah. new IRS agents are going to find you if you don't pay your taxes. Oh, heck yeah, especially with an R next to your name. <laughs> right. All right, Joanne. Thank you. Have dear. a good day, Bob. You do the same. I'll try. I'll try. It's, it's tough to have great days sometimes when you let this stuff weigh down on you. That's one of the reasons I. I don't want to get into it. We do, though. We have to find times where we shut our phones off, shut our televisions or our radios off. Gasp. A radio host said, turn off your radio. Yeah, sometimes you need to remove yourself from it because it's hard to have good days. It's hard to enjoy things when you really start to see the mountain that we have to climb in front of us just to restore normalcy and uh, opportunity for our kids and beyond. Uh, You do sometimes have to take a break from it. Anyway, thank you, Joanne. Uh, TJ. Hey, TJ, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, Bob. Uh, you know, I'm not too concerned about AM radios being eliminated from EVs. Let's face it, Bob, who buys EVs? Libtards. So they don't listen to AM anyways. And if I'm not mistaken, can't you use Bluetooth to get any station you want? You can, um, but here's the thing. Not First of all, uh, let me respond to both of those. Um, the the fear is that you know it's not just going to be the the libs as you say driving the EVs. Uh, it's going to be everybody because they're trying to yeah. mandate it. As you know, they're trying to mandate a p- specific percentage of of the autos that are sold in the United States by twenty thirty five. And I don't know if it's going to be fifty or sixty, whatever to be to be electric because they're idiots. But this is what they're trying to push. And also, there are people who are not libs but who drive EVs simply for the uh, you know the the kind of the the cool factor of it. I mean, my father-in-law, who's now 91, he bought an electric vehicle about 12 years ago just because he loved the concept and the idea. He's an, he's an engineer by trade, so he loves the idea of the electric battery. As a matter of fact, he, um, he got a Nissan Leaf, and this is one of those early ones, really early, um, where the... Uh, 
the radius, the driving radius that you have is like it's like ninety miles. You can't go more than forty-five miles because you got to come back forty-five the other way. Um, but he just loved the idea of it so much, the uh, the tech of it and the technology of it. And there's a lot of people like that who drive EVs right now who are not gang green members. They're not screaming for the green new deal. They're not saying the planet's dying. They just like the cool factor of it. And those people aren't going to be able to hear our shows either, TJ. So it is a big concern. Can I tell you a, a real quick feel-good story? Sure. I love one. Uh, my German Shepherd Trooper may have saved my wife's life yesterday. Uh, you know, we had our dinner, uh, lunch like we normally do, and watched uh, some of the programs and fell asleep on the couch. Well, my when my wife fell asleep, her neck was cocked in a way where she was obstructing her breathing. And I'm sound asleep. My Shepherd jumped on top of me uh, to wake me up and... Uh, if he had not done that, I don't know what would have happened. Now, she's doing all right. You know, they took her to the hospital. All the tests are good, and, and they think that's probably what happened. How she was sleeping in her neck, the way it was cocked, uh, may have been uh, uh, cutting off oxygen flow. Wow. And if, it, and if it wasn't for Trooper, I don't think this would have had a happy ending. Well, that is so, awesome. You make sure you I, give, I that even, boy a, give that boy a big steak dinner to thank him uh, for I fried for him up so some hamburger last night. You know, oh, he, you cheap he, son yeah, of a... Get, come on! Yeah, he's, he's getting, <laughs> now, until she gets... She's going to get released today, but until then, he's getting spoiled pretty good. You but make that boy a big old ribeye and then give him the bone when you're done. He deserves more than hamburger. Come on. And, and you know the <laughs> thing, too? A German Shepherd saved my life in Vietnam. Well, maybe uh, there's a pattern in your life. Well, I, that's why I have uh, an undying loyalty, you know, uh, to all dogs, but especially to German Shepherd. Yeah. That that is definitely God's gift to humanity. Yeah. No, I, I hear a great story. So glad. Please give our best to your wife. Okay, my friend. Okay, Bob. Have right. a good. Thank one. you. Thank you, TJ. God bless. All right, there you go. Wow, that is a great story. That is a feel-good story. No question about it. Could have been a disastrous story. Um, yeah. Just to uh, hit real quick on the EVs he brought up too. Record, or, uh, quoting the Daily Callers reporting on this, numerous EV manufacturers are removing AM radios from new vehicles despite backlash from station owners, listeners, first responders, and politicians across party lines, according to the Washington Post. Again, I'm reading from the Daily Caller, but they quoted the Post there. Automakers, including BMW, Volkswagen, Mazda, and Tesla, are eliminating AM radios from their latest AVs due to sound interference caused by electric engines. Ford, one of the largest car sellers in the country, is removing AM radios from all its vehicles, both EVs and gas-operated. Critics say that this move by automakers will be a fatal blow to a substantial portion of the United States' 4,185 AM radio stations. AM radio is a crucial component of how Americans receive news, political discussions, weather emergency coverage, and foreign language programming. Additionally, it will disproportionately impact conservative talk radio as 8 out of 10 of America's most listened to radio talk shows are conservative talk shows. According to data from Talkers, a a trade journal focused on the talk radio business, 80% of the most listened to talk shows are conservative political talk shows. Mark Levin said, uh, the automobile is essential to liberty. It's freedom. So the control of the automobile is about the control of your freedom. And they finally figured out how to attack conservative talk radio. 
Over 82 million Americans tune into AM radio each month, according to the National Association of Broadcasters. While the AM demographic is aging, Michael Harrison, the publisher of Talkers, told the Daily Caller News Foundation it has many years left and it is premature for car manufacturers to dispose of them. From a purely economic position of self-interest, it is understandable why car manufacturers might consider AM radios expendable and willing to toss them out like cassette players, 8-tracks, and even CD players. However... What they are failing to understand is the cultural aspects of the long-time symbiotic relationship between AM radio and automobiles, a culture still adhered to by a large, still-living segment of the population to whom this relationship remains important. And I'll say this just to kind of put a cap on it for now. TJ said, I think it was TJ who said, maybe somebody else asked, I forget now, who uh, said about, uh, doesn't everybody have Bluetooth now? And the answer is possibly... Yes, they can put Bluetooth tech inside each one of these vehicles, EV or otherwise, and you can then listen to your phone through your car radio speakers if you have the smartphone. And the reality is a lot of that aging, conservative, talk show listening population that they talked about, they're not, they're not smartphone users. I know a lot of people, a lot of people who listen to my program who have flip phones if they have cell phones at all. They, they have the old-school, original push-button flip phones. They don't have the smartphones that allow you to download the AM 1420, the Answer app, the WHK radio app, and listen to the radio show through the phone. They don't know how to Bluetooth it to the speaker in the car and so forth. So, uh, yeah, this is a real threat, and this is a real challenge, and this is a real attack on conservative talk radio. They don't want you to listen to me anymore. They don't want you to hear Dennis Prager's wisdom. They don't want you to hear Sebastian Gorka's fire, Brandon Tatum, Hugh Hewitt. I'm not just picking the Salem hosts, but I'm picking them for this purpose. But there are a lot of tremendous radio hosts and shows around the country that provide a lot of information and education to people who can't find that anywhere else because you turn on what? Fox News? What are you going to get? You turn on MSNBC, CNN, or the network news you know, Channel 3, 5, or 8, or 19, what are you going to get? You're going to get their left-wing version of news and of opinion and of information. People tune into us because they need the other half. They need to know the other side. And if that's taken away, my gosh, I cannot even imagine. I cannot even imagine the impact on this society and this culture if they try to take us away. 216-901-0945 is the number. Join us. Um, it's 1056, quick time out right here on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. You and I know... And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis 
didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now. Ten minutes past 11 o'clock. Appreciate you joining us this morning. If you missed the interviews that we've already had, uh, you're going to want to catch up on those. WHKradio.com. Check it out on the podcast page there. You'll hear Jerry Serena from hour number one about Senate Bill uh, 83, a huge deal in Ohio colleges and universities. Extraordinarily important opportunity to try to balance the scales a little bit ideologically. Stop DEI from reigning supreme uh, and actually give the Ohio Senate um, advice and consent oversight, if you will, of boards of uh, trustee members or trustees, I guess I should say, of boards uh, at Ohio University so that when they are, you know, selecting their new faculty and hiring people, there is no litmus test. They cannot do that anymore. 97%, if you missed the interview, quick uh, fact check here for you 97%. Of Ohio universities and colleges, faculty members who actually have donated their own money to um, uh, political candidates, 97% of their dollars have gone to Democrats. So, you know, take that for what you will. It cannot be an accident. It's not just, wow, what a coincidence. You're a liberal Democrat, too. So am I. Nobody knew when we got hired. Really? It's an astounding thing. It's a very important bill. So uh, check that out at uh, whkradio.com with uh, my interview with Jerry Serino. And then, of course, we had Tom Zawostowski on at the uh, top of Hour 2. He joins me in lamenting the Durham Report's uh, lack of accountability for anybody. So that conversation can be found there as well. want to pivot now and go back to the border. Why? Well, because the border is a beehive of activity right now in and of itself. Uh, Title 42 is over. We had over 10,000 illegal migrant crossings per day, every day last week. Uh, the pace slowed a little bit over the weekend, leading Joe Biden to actually chuckle from his bike underneath his goofy bike helmet in Rehoboth Beach, uh, Delaware, that, uh, see, it's not as bad as you thought it was going to be. <laughs> he actually said that, believe it or not. America is being invaded, and this idiot is biking and chuckling. It's unbelievable. Joining us now to discuss is a new voice uh, that you have not heard yet on this program. She is an attorney. She's a political strategist. And, yes, she is a media commentator. She is Mehek Cook from Columbus. Uh, uh, Mehek, it's very good to have you on the program this morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Bob. How are you doing? Good I'm to be great. with you. Yeah, it's good to be with you as well. So I saw a little bit of your work in some of the other uh, uh, cable news television programs. Tell people who don't know anything about you who you are. What's your story? I am a immigrant, came to the United States legally when I was five with my family, lived a typical immigrant story, 10 family members in a small home until my dad was able to afford a home and we moved in Columbus. And really just grateful for all the opportunities I've been given. I've been a legal counsel to a governor. I've worked on presidential campaigns. I'm an attorney. I own a small business. And I ran for office in 2020, really tough race in Franklin County. I hope to have the opportunity to serve someday. But until then, I have continued to try and be a voice in the media 
and to speak truth because I think that there's a lot of individuals and a lot of mainstream media out there, Bob, that are misleading Ohioans today. Well, there's no doubt of that. Um, I'll ask you in a moment to tell me what kinds of things that they're misleading Ohioans about, but I want to go back to the fact that you came to this country when you were five. Your your parents brought you here, so you're an immigrant family, and I always find it more interesting to listen to legal immigrants in the United States and how they feel about illegal immigration as opposed to those of us who were born here. Um, it, it, from, from what I've gathered through the years and talking to folks, you guys seem to take it more personally. When you waited and your father, in your case, and mother and father waited to come to this country legally rather than breaking its laws and finding a way to, to sneak across our borders, um, it, it hits a little bit different for you when you see thousands and, in fact, millions of people doing it the uh, shortcut way. You're right, Bob. We came to this country legally. My grandfather sponsored us. We waited our turn. And I think what's so difficult is you're only allowed at that time $20 per individual to come to the United States. So there were four of us. My father came to this country with $80 in his pocket. And now to be watching how our borders are being overrun by illegal immigrants that are given handouts from health care to food stamps. I mean, you name it. It is absolutely discouraging. I don't know what's happened to the rule of law in our country, and I do take it personally. I think anybody who thinks that I am not a compassionate individual needs to think again, because I have practiced immigration law. I've helped individuals in asylum cases. I have empathy when you do it legally and you come to our country legally, but I don't have empathy when you are trying to overrun our borders, when you're bringing fentanyl, when there's human trafficking, and when you are a threat to the American people. I could not agree more. We're talking with Mehet Cook. She's a Republican lawyer and a consultant and a strategist. And uh, she is also, as she mentioned, a, uh, a has been a candidate for office and aspires to do that again. So, yeah, um, it, it is astounding. What do you make of the cavalier attitude displayed by our president on these issues? You know, we hear horror stories being told by frontline personnel in Border, border Patrol. Uh, we hear horror stories from those who are in charge down there of security. We hear terrible, terrible, terrible coming from um, border communities like El Paso, Texas, which declared a state of emergency two weeks before Title 42 ended because they knew what was going to happen. When you hear these kinds of stories and then you see the the laughing and the chuckling and the non-serious nature um, that the uh, administration approaches to this, well, how does that make you feel? Angry. I want the rule of law to be followed, and I think there's a huge dereliction of duty by Joe Biden. The president has known for two years that Title 42 would expire. And by the way, this is a dereliction of duty of Congress, too. I am so tired of Congress members taking this podium, talking about how it's important to follow the rule of law, protect our borders. Where are our leaders with our backbone today? Where are the leaders that, instead of pontificating, are actually coming up with real solutions? Every state is a border state today, and all the policies that have come out of the Biden administration, all it's doing is encouraging people to come to our country illegally. And, Bob, you stated it, 10,000 individuals are coming here illegally. Since Joe Biden has taken office, 5 million illegal immigrants have come to America. 2 million illegal immigrants have been released under Biden's watch. This is not acceptable, and it's not only the president president's dereliction but it's also congress we need solutions we need true leadership because america as far as i know is the only country that has an open for business sign welcoming illegal immigrants fentanyl criminals thanks to joe biden's policies
Yeah, and a red carpet uh, rolled right up to that sign uh, so that people can just go ahead and casually stroll on in. There's no question about it. Um, Mehek, when uh, when we talk about some of the impact of this, you mentioned fentanyl. You mentioned, and by the way, the five million you also mentioned. I think that was that's an old number because that was before twenty nineteen fiscal, or excuse me, twenty twenty three. The fiscal year twenty twenty three, one point five million. This is before Title forty two ended. One point five million crossings in fiscal year twenty twenty three. So in other words, that's until October. Uh, so it's going to be, you know, Lord only knows what it's going to top at for this year alone. We may push on that five million in one year, not just the first right. two years of the Biden administration. But the impact. You started to talk about, talk about the fentanyl. We talk about human trafficking. We, you know, these things are at record highs. But just also the general crime that comes with this. First of all, we have to support. And provide our resources educationally, medically, uh, housing-wise, nutritionally, and so forth for all these people who come here. They soak up resources without being invited, and then so many of them, sadly, are are you know not good people. Uh, And this isn't to to specifically denigrate anybody by ethnicity or country of origin, because I'm talking about 160 countries represented in illegal crossings since Joe Biden became president. So this isn't specific to to an ethnicity, but these immigrants come to a country like this that is so welcoming and they feel so entitled that the laws don't belong to them. And sadly, crime is spiking, I think, in large part because of that. Bob, you're right, but why would somebody honor the rule of law here? If you're allowing for an illegal immigrant to come to our country illegally, then that's the premise that everything that follows, they don't have to follow the rule of law. The individuals like me and my family who waited in line, who waited our turn, who respected the rule of law, have a completely different standard. And I'm not saying every individual at the border is going to be a criminal, but I am saying if we set up a system and secure our border and allow individuals who truly want to contribute to our economy to go through an e-verify system, I think we'll be on a stronger track. And everybody wants to say building a border is inhumane. Why? We lock our doors at night. How is this any different? We need to give our officers at the border some cover. There is no way that these officers are honestly prepared for the number of individuals that are coming illegally, for the crimes, for the fentanyl. If we truly build a wall, a fence, whatever you want to call it, we will actually have a thoughtful process. We will protect our border agents. We'll also protect families. We'll keep them together rather than letting our borders be overrun and America being overrun. Yeah, I could not agree more. We're talking with Mahette Cook. She is a Republican attorney. You are obviously um, a candidate for office as a Republican. You are obviously conservative-minded. Where do your values come from? Were mom and dad politically active uh, in India, and were they, or are they here in the United States? Where did you get your uh, your ideology? You know, it's it's funny, Bob. Growing up, my parents never talked politics. My mom was a private school, public, and then charter school teacher. So she is somebody who has always talked a little bit more about unions than I would like in terms of teachers' unions. But I have respected her policies. I've respected her thoughts. And I have pushed back. It is my father, and it is his work ethic that has driven me. He worked three jobs for seven years. He never took a handout. He continued to work hard and persevere. And it was truly when I worked at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Columbus, Ohio, on a counterterrorism case that I realized how important the security of Ohio, the security of our country was. So it is truly those immigrant stories, that hard work, the put your nose to the grindstone, 
and continue to persevere and never ask for a handout. So I am proud to say my family never asked for handouts, and I continue to watch them work hard and earn everything that they had the courage to seek. So that is truly where my values come from. And I'm also really happy to tell you that nobody pushed me to think as a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative. I truly just watched my family values. And I think that's what's fundamentally missing in our country today. When's the last time, I I would love to know from your viewers, your listeners, they sat together as a family and talked about their day. They talked about what they accomplished at work. And I think that's what's missing in our society today. And that's what builds good values. That's very well said. And um, since we're talking about the immigration issue, it's obviously a national issue, but you ran for office here in Ohio. How dialed in are you to Ohio politics, the uh, battles going on within the Republican Party at the state level, particularly in the state house? Is this something that you are concerned about? Are you following closely? Do you have any recommendations? The battles in the Republican Party or just overall? Well, either way. Yeah, either way. You know, it's funny because what what we should have is not too many battles going on at all. We have a supermajority in both the Senate and the House in Columbus. And if they, you know, unified their efforts, there would be no battles at all because the uh, minority Democrats wouldn't be able to do anything to stop a a very true family and uh, family values oriented agenda. But the Republicans, as you know, split in the House and uh, 22 of them uh, in that supermajority part with the Democrats to kind of uh, uh, upend the, uh, the, the, the the train, if you will. Uh, so I don't know if you're just, uh, if you dialed into that and if you have any thoughts on that. Bob, I am. I was there on the front line watching as we would have had the most conservative speaker in the history of Ohio politics, Derek Maron. And we have a speaker today elected, Jason Stevens, that struck a deal at the 11th hour with Democrats. So even though we have a supermajority, Republicans today are truly at the back and call of Democrats. It comes down to look at even what's going on in school choice. We have so many Republicans that touted how important school choice was for our families and for our children to advance and succeed because we are failing in reading and math. And the end result has been in the House specifically, we have not been able to come out with thoughtful reform in school choice. We are hoping in the Senate through President Huffman's leadership will be able to make some ripple effect here. But it's truly been atrocious. And it, this isn't about ideology and principles. This is about power. And it's despicable to see Republicans trade in for the price of power, your values, what they promised Ohioans, and they're not fighting for us. Today, they're fighting against us, against every one of our values that we elected them for. I think that's very well said. And uh, and the last thing I'll ask you, just while I have you for the first time, and we'd love to have you back too, Mahek. Um, I would love that. The pro-death uh, cult in Ohio and in surrounding states, um, they're out in force. I think they've gathered 50,000 signatures in the first six weeks. They need to get around 400,000 400, signatures or whatever it is to make sure that they're ballot initiative in November to uh, enshrine abortion into the Ohio Constitution and more uh, for that to be successful. So they're, they're, they're going full steam. They're advertising from out of state, from within state, 
What is your take? Do you think Ohioans will stand up? Obviously, we have to win in November to raise the, or excuse me, in August to raise the uh, uh, amendment threshold to 60%, and then we have to defeat it in November as well. Do you think that we will be able to stop this mad dash toward uh, abortion anytime on demand at any stage of pregnancy? Bob, I think we will. I think in August, we're going to change our threshold to 60%. And then let's be honest, this is an anti-parent amendment. This eviscerates parental rights. It allows the most painful life-altering surgeries on our children without parental consent. There are no guardrails in this amendment. And it's not just about abortion today because it specifically states surgeries, including but not limited to. So now we're talking about transgender surgeries and anything else goes. And it also does not state by a doctor. It says a very vague term, which is a provider. What is a provider? I have no idea. So the most important thing that even as an Ohioan, if you believe that there should be some access to abortion, that is not what we're fighting today. We are fighting against the ACLU that has written an overly broad amendment to allow for excruciating, painful, life-altering surgeries of our children. And that is unacceptable. It is not Ohioan, and we will defeat this in November. Mehek Cook is uh, is fired up. She is obviously a very, very talented communicator. She's, well, by, by nature of her, her position as an attorney as well and, and a future candidate. You mentioned that super quick. Uh, well, before we wrap here, Mehek, you said you uh, hope to be a candidate again in the future. Do you have an ultimate end uh, career goal for yourself? Do you know what you would like to do when it comes to political office? So, Bob, I don't know, but I'll tell you what my mother said. When I told her I was running for state representative, she looked at me, she dropped her jaw, and then she said, why not governor? So there oh, you have I it. love that. In an Indian family. <laughs> Good for you. I love that. And why not? Aspire as high as you possibly can. And when you have the talent you do and the charisma that you do and the intelligence that you do and obviously the passion for uh, for your conservative principles, uh, why not? Good for you. I wish you the very best, and I look forward to talking to you again on a regular basis. Likewise. Thanks, Bob. Thank you so much. That's Mehek Cook. She's an attorney, and she is a commentator. She's a political strategist, and yeah, she's going to be a candidate again sometime soon. Of that, I have no doubt. It's 1128. We'll take a time out here for the bottom of the hour break, and we'll come back one more segment. This will be yours. If you want to call, dial it now, 216-901-0945, right here on Always Right Radio. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 11.35. Always right radio wrapping it up. We've got one more segment here, about 10 minutes. They're yours. 216-901-0945. Don't forget, stay here when we're done. Charlie, well, actually, Bill O'Reilly's going to take you to the top of the hour. Charlie Kirk, Dennis Prager, Dr. G., you get some seculo, you get a little bit of Brandon Tatum. Stay here while you can. He spoke. We spoke about this uh, last hour. Stay here while you can, while AM radio is still alive. They're trying very, very hard to kill us. They're trying very, very hard to limit us, to silence us. They know that millions and millions and millions of voters get information and education and the other side of the story. As Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story that the mainstream media will not give you that's what we're here for. It's what we've been doing. It's what talk radio has been for 100 years. And uh, they're trying to kill it by not putting it in new cars. Ford 
is going to knock AM radio out of both EV and gas-powered vehicles, and a host of the foreign EV makers are saying they're not going to put EV or uh, AM radios in, saying that it interferes with the battery. The signal somehow interferes with the battery. Um, it's uh, it's not about batteries. It's not about interference. It's about silencing conservative voices like mine and guess what, like yours. Your voices are just as important. The callers to talk radio shows sometimes educate the hosts on things they didn't know. And sometimes they offer perspectives that the host didn't have. Your voice is going to be silenced, as is mine, if we allow this to happen. So that's uh, that's something to keep, I wouldn't even say in the back of your mind, I'd say to try to move that toward the forefront because this is happening in real time. They're pushing these EVs uh, by, you know, uh, 2035, they want to have some 50% of the cars on the road to be electric vehicles. Uh, never mind the, the ridiculous reasons why, never mind the obvious hypocrisy in their goal of getting rid of fossil fuels and instead mining the earth for rare minerals that are found in China or places that are under Chinese control. Never mind all of that. That's it. That's another topic for another time and for many other times, and it will continue to be. But just know that in addition to trying to push for those EVs, they want to get rid of your opportunity to be heard and to hear. BJ is in uh, North Olmsted. Hi, BJ. Go ahead, sir. Thank you, Bob. I think uh, you should feel very assured knowing that the president is able to go out and ride his bike and live in his basement. So he's got everything under control, and I think America should feel very secure about that. If the <laughs> yeah. president doesn't have to be in the White House, everything's got to be wonderful. The other point I'd like to make, and I think that we fail to realize, I hear you talking about them wanting to pass this abortion law. The abortions that have been committed and the number of humans that never grew up to be in this country or have families I have to be somewhere around 60 million overall that have been destroyed. Those that didn't have become life because of abortion and the children they would have had and the children their children would have had since abortion has been active. The murder that's gone on and and what they're doing with castrating boys and removing women's uh, ability to have babies is how can people say they're Christian or believe in a God when they're killing the future of America. No wonder they're letting immigrants in. We have killed millions of our own people. And I hope America does wake up that this is murderous, and why the medical profession is a part of it is shameful. I hope the young people wake up. And thank you for giving me the time, and God bless America. Please, Americans, wake up and save your country. Thank you, Bob. Yes, sir, BJ, thank you. I um I could not agree more. Um, you know, there's 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 the micro and there's a the macro. On the micro level, we're talking about an individual life, a baby's life. A mother choosing to terminate a pregnancy is killing the life that is uh, on uh, that is uh, 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 should be protected for on its own accord. Um, so that's the micro level. But the macro level is when this gets repeated again and again and again and again. It affects the population. It absolutely does. It affects the culture. Uh, when you don't recognize the value and the sanctity of life in its most defenseless, precious form, which is in the womb, then you don't recognize the sanctity or the value of life in its other forms as well. And that cannot help but affect an entire culture, a civilization, a country, and quite frankly, a world. I don't want to 
overstate it, but that's the reality of it. So well, well said, BJ. Thank you. Paul is in uh, Eastlake next. Paul, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, Bob. Uh, I'm uh, I'm 75 years old. I was born in a DP camp in Austria, and this is right after World War II. And uh, what it did, it how a lot of the, my dad was a uh, in the partisans in Yugoslavia, he was not able to go back into Slovenia. He was forced to li- live in a camp in, uh, in, in Austria. We lived there for about four years. We were on a list to go to four different countries. It was Canada, we, uh, Australia, United States, Argentina. So I, I w- just about 1948, we finally got a chance. We were ready to go board a boat to get on to and go to Argentina. My little, my younger brother was real sick. He had some kind of problems. They would not let us on the boat. So we were forced to go back to the camp for another six months. And then we had a call and we waited for another six months. We got a call from, uh, the, the, we were able, uh, a sponsor in Wisconsin, a farmer was willing to take on a family. So the family consisted of my mom my dad, my brother, and my sister. So in 1949, we were, we went on a, got on a boat, went over to the United States, took a train, went to Wisconsin, and my dad worked two years on the farm while he was there. This is kind of to earn his passage, so to speak. So after two years, uh, you know, then we, we went, moved to, uh, you know, Cleveland, which was a real big Slovenian community. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, and uh, and uh, the family very appreciative. My dad was, even though he had to work off a couple of years for the passage, we were still fortunate and glad that we were able to come here, which was a problem. We literally waited four years in the camp to get here, and now we're all somewhat successful, and we appreciate America. Well, you know, uh, there are trials and tribulations along the way from the story that you just told, but at the end of the day, you did it right. You did it right. Your family did it right. You appreciate and and adore America because of the opportunity it gives you. And again, I'll ask you the same question I asked my last guest, Mehet Cook, whose family immigrated here from India. Um, How do you feel when you see people not doing it right and not... Um, you know, going through the struggles that you did and your father working as hard as he did and so forth, and they come over here having their hands out saying, Asylum, my uh, my country's not taking care of me, so you take care of me. How does that make you feel? Well, I know. It definitely upsets me. It really bothers me. I can't even watch it anymore. I can't ignore the TV, you know, because the way you see them fighting, and because I know I've worked my whole life here, and now I know my tax dollars are going to go immediately right to them to support them. Where my dad, we did not have that benefit. He had to work it off on a farm. Then we came here. We had no assistance. You know, we had a pretty large family. So we struggled for a while, but we mm-hmm. pulled out of it and did okay. Yeah, so yeah, Bob makes me feel, you know, uh, not too good. Well, well, you know what, you should, uh, and, and I agree with you, and you should feel proud that your family did it the way that you did it, and like I said, sometimes the struggles are, are very, very painful, not sometimes, they are, they're painful while you're going through them, but the feeling of satisfaction that you get when you're done, and you make it anyway, and you and you earn your way, and you earn your place, has to be something that, uh, uh, you know, that feels very, very good, so, and that's why we're all proud to be Americans, we know we're a nation of immigrants, nobody has ever said otherwise, nobody has said that yeah. we're supposed to be, you know, jingoistic, and all 
all just, you know, if you're not uh, true blooded, you know, true blooded American, and the only people who live here are who live here should be the ones who were born here and all that stuff. You're not being realistic. We're a nation of immigrants, and the people who came here to make this country great are its core, yeah. and your family obviously is part of that. So. Yeah, and just so you know, we did pay back within my family. Five of us went into the military. Three of us were in Vietnam. A couple were wounded. So we did pay back for, you know, the passage and and, uh, what, you know, America had to offer to us. You... you very and your family, yeah. You and your family are very much appreciated. We, uh, you have my respect and my thanks and gratitude for your service to this country. Thank you, my friend. God bless you, Paul. Uh, yeah, thank you, Bob. Okay. All right, you got it. That's all the time we do have for today. Great phone call to end it. That's uplifting. That's inspirational. I like that. Thanks to my guests Jerry Serino and Tom Zawistowski and Mehet Cook, and thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.